0: Welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances or needs. So we've been doing Aussie classics, Mark. You've been trying Aussie classics. That's true. And so you tried another one the other day. I did. And we bought it from Baker's Delight. Yes. (laughs)
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, Would you like me to describe this or
0: Yeah, why don't you describe it?
1: Well, I had a finger bun, but mm-hmm. it wasn't actually my first finger bun because there's this bakery in Sydney called Humble, and I've had a finger bun from Humble. That was my first finger bun, but you told me that doesn't count no, because it doesn't. it's too fancy.
0: It is. It's really bougie. Like you should you shouldn't have to pay fifteen dollars for a finger bun.
1: Yeah. So anyway that's not a
0: yeah. that's not a finger bun.
1: Well, I ate this finger bun. Yes. And like it was, it was the one
0: with the pink icing on it. I think that that's the classic.
1: You insisted on that one. Yeah. Like it was fine, but then like I had this like sweet taste. It wasn't taste. fine. Like you. I liked it when liked I ate it. it yeah. I liked it when I ate it, but then I had this sweet <laughs> taste in my mouth for like six hours and I couldn't get it out, yeah. which was unpleasant. <laughs> All
0: right. So you've been rating these things. How, how would you rate
1: this? Well, I have to rate it the whole experience.
0: Okay. Right. So
1: I probably <laughs> would have given it a seven if you would have asked me five seconds after I ate it. <laughs> But in retrospect, like it gets like a two because Ooh. I never want to do it again.
0: Okay. So this is the lowest sco- score so far.
1: It is. Yes. Okay. Sorry, Baker's Delight. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> should we get on with the episode?
1: We should. So Baker's Delight obviously probably rents their space.
0: That's a good segue. <laughs> it is a good segue. And
1: they might be renting their space from... A real estate investment trust that owns that property. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about real estate investment trusts. So, we've done a few episodes on ETFs and housing. And we just turned to each other and said, well, we should probably do one on REITs. And so, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do an episode today on REITs.
0: So, let's start with what REIT stands for. It stands for Real Estate Investment Trust, as Mark said. And it is a publicly traded company that owns, manages, operates, and finances real estate property. And-
1: Exactly. And before we get into details, you've also probably heard the term a REIT, and that's simply an Australian real estate investment trust. So they've been in Australia since the 1970s, and they used to be called listed property trusts. So outside of the US, Australia is the largest REIT market in the world.
0: So what we'll do through this episode is give you an overview of the security, how they operate, where they would fit into your portfolio, and the type of investor that they might suit. We'll also go through an example of an A-REIT in our coverage.
1: Yeah. So there's two different ways that investors can get exposure to REIT. So there's direct equities. So that's a REIT that's just listed directly on an exchange. So examples of this are Center Group, Shopping Centers, Australia, Charter Hall, Long Whale REIT. Or of course, you can invest in funds and ETFs. We'll focus on ETFs. So there's couple different examples. There's a Vanguard Australian Property Securities Index ETF with the ticker symbol VAP. And we'll come back to that one. And there's the Spider Dow Jones Global Real Estate Fund with the ticker symbol DJRE.
0: All right. So let's start with an overview of REITs. You You can think of REITs in the same way that you think of any other fund investing in any other asset class. But with REITs, you're investing in property. And property is broad and varied, with each sector having their own characteristics, influences, and operating environment. There's residential, commercial, retirement, retail, infrastructure, leisure, hotels. There's all sorts.
1: And that's the beauty of REITs. So some of us may be able to afford a residential property in Australia and gain access to the asset class that way, but owning a shopping centre a retirement village, a swimming complex, or hotel properties out of the reach for many of us, most of us. So REITs allow us to participate in the sector without breaking too much of a sweat.
0: Of course, it's worth mentioning that each property market is different, and so you'll see them performing differently. For example, a retail shop in a shopping center in Brisbane is going to perform differently to your residential property in Sydney. So it's important that as REIT investors, you understand the composition of your REIT and what you're invested in so you can understand its behavior and how it fits into your overall portfolio goals. But we'll come back to that as well.
1: Yeah. And trading on exchange are obviously a lot more liquid compared to a physical property you would buy. So if you are in a phase of your life where you are making regular withdrawals or if you're liquidating your assets to fund a goal, you're able to access part or all of your investment without going through some huge process. Common antidote that goes with REITs is that with a property, you're not able to just sell your bathroom off and keep the rest. With REITs, you are able to liquidate a portion of your real estate investment. So there's a lot more flexibility.
0: This is especially valuable from a diversification perspective. I use REITs in my portfolio to gain exposure to property, and I've touched on this before in our property episode, but it's difficult to enter the property market in Australia. And at this stage of my life, I'd have to pull all of my investments and surplus in one asset, which I'm just not comfortable with. REITs allow me to diversify my holdings and still get access to the property market until the time comes, if it does, where property makes sense for my portfolio.
1: Yeah. Now, it's an interesting time that we're doing this episode, Shani, because from January 2022 two, REITs have been way out of favor. So they've been the second worst performing sector. The only thing that's done worse is the tech sector. And there's a clear reason for this. Interest rates have been rising and the 10-year bond rate is up about 150% since January. And investors become bearish as real estate is an interest rate sensitive sector.
0: And when we look over the long term, since 1990, the FTSE NAREIT, and that stands for National Association of Real Estate Investment Trusts, all REITs index produced an annual return of 9.6%. When we dive a level deeper, the sectors that perform the best are self-storage, residential, healthcare, and industrial. That's a pretty Im- impressive return, but it's not all good news as the subsectors are not without volatility. When we look at the market dip in March of 2020, we saw the ASX 300 A REIT index fall almost 50%, which was further than equity markets fell. When we look at commercial real estate specifically, which suffered with the lockdowns, the sector fell 8% in 2020, comparative to an increase of 18.4% for the S&P 500.
1: And what we've seen in the past is that when REITs, particularly A-REITs, outperform, this has typically had a negative correlation to movements in the 10-year government bond yield. We saw this in 2022 as the A-REIT sector underperformed the S&P ASX 200 by around 19% as bond yields have more than doubled.
0: And we see this because interest rate rises obviously have an impact on property prices. And as interest rates rise, bond yields increase, but also valuations for real estate drop.
1: And it's not all bad news, though, and REITs can provide some protection for investors in uncertain times. For investors that are worried about inflation, REITs can provide some shelter, depending upon the sector you're investing in. For example, it's common for commercial property to have inflation-linked annual rent adjustments And that protects investors from the corrosive effects of inflation.
0: We mentioned at the beginning of this episode that it's important to understand what's in your ETF. And it's because of all these factors. The types of property that your REITs invest in heavily influences the volatility, the performance, the conditions in which they perform well, and in those which they may underperform. Take, for example, the Vanguard Australian Property Securities Index ETF with the ticker symbol VAP. At face value, it sounds pretty broad. The objective of this ETF is to track the S&P ASX 300 A-REIT index. When we look at the index, the property sectors that it's exposed to is retail, office, and industrial property, so commercial property. It doesn't have any exposure to residential property and, as we spoke about, performed very differently to the broader market during the COVID lockdown. So let's have a look at how to find a good REIT and what investors should look for.
1: So the first thing is understanding that this is just a group of real estate investments. You're investing in property, and as Aussies, the property market is something that we're exposed to day in and day out, and it's something that most people understand quite well. And just like property, you might buy, you need to ensure that they are quality assets. So location is incredibly important. REITs will have a much higher chance of success if it is properties in strong locations. Equally as important are REITs that contain properties that attract high quality tenants, and the weighted average lease expiry or whale. The whale indicates to us as investors how long the current leases are locked in for. So the longer the whale, the more secure the income that the REIT receives.
0: In other words, you want to make sure that you've got blue-chip tenants on long rental terms and the occupancy levels are strong. Many investors try to ensure that when they're looking at REITs, that there's a healthy amount of government tenants and contracts, as well as ASX-listed companies. These companies tend to be established, transparent, And will generally avoid moving spaces, which makes the likelihood of an empty building less likely.
1: And just like when you buy a house, property investment includes gearing. You'll need to look at gearing to ensure that it's at a sustainable level. When REITs are over leveraged, it means that when a market downturn occurs, they might need to conduct fire sales of their properties to keep their head above water. The last thing we want as investors is for assets to be sold at an inopportune time and at a depressed price because the REIT was not structured correctly. This is where good management prevails.
0: We saw during the GSE that because of over-leveraged properties, the REIT sector really suffered. It fell over 80% during this period, and we saw a lot of investors badly bent by holding onto these investments. Leverage is part and parcel of property investment, but it's important to ensure that it is properly managed. A serviceable debt level falls between 20 to 40% of the value of the portfolio. This generally is a level that can be easily serviced by income and also leaves room to take on more leverage if attractive opportunities arise.
1: If you're choosing to invest in a direct security, it is important that like with any direct equity investment, you consider that there's also single company risk. This is just like considering whether a company has good management when you're going to purchase an equity you want to make sure that the management team will make sound decisions and have the right strategy for property acquisition and sale.
0: This, of course, is not such a problem if you're investing in a broad REIT ETF. Considerations for this include ensuring that you understand the exposure and an assessment of criteria for property selection and whether that aligns with what you're trying to achieve in your portfolio. Again, we go back to the different characteristics of properties and the quality of the properties and the tenants.
2: Morningstar Investor is built for investors by investors. It provides independent research and data on over 40,000 securities, tools to build and maintain an investment portfolio, and investor education resources to support you, regardless of where you are in your investing journey. Explore opportunities with our monthly global best ideas. Explore our ETF model portfolios. Plan better with two years of dividend forecasts for ASX listed stocks. And Stay informed with independent thought leadership. We've built tools to help you construct, monitor and maintain your portfolio, including our Portfolio Manager, integrated with one of Australia's leading portfolio tracking tools, ShareSite. Morningstar has been empowering investor success for over 35 years. We're passionate about your outcomes and are here every step of the way as you achieve them. Take out a free four-week trial to access our resources. Find the details in the episode notes.
1: Okay, so we're going to explore a REIT that we cover, that our equity analysts cover at Morningstar, and then we'll look at a REIT ETF that we also cover. So the first REIT, the individual REIT that we will cover, is BWP Trust with the shocking ticker symbol of BWP. (laughs) So our analyst Adrian acknowledges that BWP is rarely ever cheap comparative to Morningstar's fair value. But he believes that you can't really find many safer investments. It ticks a lot of boxes that we've been speaking about so far.
0: BWP has, for over 20 years, consistently applied a strategy of generating rental income from long duration leases over warehouse properties, with these warehouse properties predominantly being tenanted by Bunnings. 80 to 90% of rental income from BWP comes from Bunnings.
1: Widemoat West Farmers, which we've spoken about before on Investing Compass, owns 100% of Bunnings and 25% of BWP. Although this is extremely concentrated with one client, we don't believe that this is a risk for BWP as Bunnings is a strong and growing tenant. Bunnings itself is well-managed and dominates the home improvement retail business in Australia, which is typically resilient throughout the business cycle.
0: And it's Wesfarmers' intention to open 10 to 14 Bunnings stores per year into the foreseeable future and invest in upgrading existing Bunnings properties. West Farmers has strong bargaining power over BWP, but the trust is treated as an important capital partner, owning 66 properties that are key to Bunning's operating performance.
1: And the average lease period initially is between 10 to 12 years, with multiple options to renew for a further five to six years. So the lease terms provide for annual rental growth linked to CPI for a fixed annual rate, typically around 3%. They also provide for mid-lease market rent reviews that allow them to increase or decrease the rent by 10%.
0: The trust has low financial leverage, where gearing is 15%, and net debt to EBITDA is 3.5, which is about half the level of most REITs. It also has no debt maturing until fiscal 2026, and this limits refinancing risk. Because of this strong position, BWP can support the current income it distributes to its shareholders even if earnings weaken because of higher interest expense and if they experience vacancies. It currently has a yield of around 5%. And this is a great thing for income-conscious shareholders. We predict these distributions are likely to be flat for the medium term because we see rising interest rates and vacancies offset accelerating rent growth. But growth will match CPI over the longer term with distributions growing again in fiscal 2025.
1: And they're also quite immune to a weakening economy because they've got that rock-solid key client, and of course that's Bunnings. Weighted average lease expiry, or WAIL, is pretty short comparative to most commercial leases at four years. And there should be several vacancies as Bunnings expands some of their stores and needs larger spaces. But we don't see this as a huge problem, as the vast majority of the leases will remain with BWP especially given that Bunnings has had a say in where these properties were purchased by BWP. All
0: in all, BWP is extremely defensive. Financially defensive in leverage and revenue, defensive in the client base. And this means that BWP are in a good position to be able to continue paying out distributions to shareholders and maintain and grow the distribution in the future.
1: And because of their strong relationship with West Farmers, BWP has been awarded a narrow economic moat by our analyst, Adrian. This means that they believe, that he believes, that BWP can sustain their competitive advantage and protect and grow earnings over a period of at least 10 years. The relationship has provided BWP with a strong defensive rental stream over a core portfolio of properties. Given the importance of the store locations that they have acquired as well, they also have some switching cost advantages that makes it difficult for these leases to not be removed. Renewed, not removed. Although it's a little bit of the same thing, right? All right. So let's switch gears here a little bit, Shani, and let's look at a REIT ETF.
0: Okay. So we mentioned this one a little earlier, but it is the Vanguard Australian Property Securities Index with the ticker symbol VAP. It's rated gold by our analysts for domestic REIT exposure, and our analysts believe it is highly efficient in offering exposure through an impressively constructed index that it follows. The Vanguard strategy offers passive exposure to the AREIT sector by fully replicating the S&P ASX 300 AREIT index, and it has an unbeatable fee of 0.23% that peers, both active and passive, cannot match. We believe that it's strongly placed to beat the peer group median and serves investors well over the long term.
1: And despite being the second largest REIT market in the world, the Australian REIT market is still pretty concentrated, with just 47 listings on the ASX as of August of 2022. Because it's such a small universe, it's hard for active managers to outperform the benchmark, so passive investments do make a lot of sense in the sector. We covered the composition of the index before, and that is just the fact that it's commercial real estate exposure that our investors are getting when they invest in VAP. But comparatively, it is much more diversified than other ETF peers.
0: The only concern that we have with VAP is portfolio concentration which is an important consideration for investors seeking out a REIT ETF. As at August 2022, the portfolio has 31 constituents, with the top 10 holdings accounting for 80% of the portfolio assets.
1: And what this concentration implies is that if there's any sort of significant corporate action, or if for some reason a holding exits the index, there could be a significant shift in that portfolio. And I do think that there's this misnomer out there that a lot of investors have, That active strategies tend to be concentrated as portfolio managers take big bets on high conviction holdings, but passive strategies are not immune from this concentration as well.
0: So ultimately, the combination of Vanguard's passive equity leadership and the suitability of an index approach for a small ARIT market makes a strong case for VAP, and it earns our highest conviction.
1: Okay, so let's speak a little bit about valuation before we wrap things up. We've spoken about NTA or net tangible assets in a couple of different contexts on Investing Compass. So NTA is used for licks and for REITs. So net tangible assets basically means the underlying value of the assets that are held in a trust. For example, if you hold five properties, all valued at $1 million within the trust, the NTA would be $5 million.
0: This is a common measure that a lot of investors use as a quick check to understand whether a REIT is over or undervalued, as the price of a REIT can and often does defer from that NTA of the fund. The NTA is an important consideration, but it's often like putting your hand against your forehead to check your temperature.
1: To understand the strength of the REIT, you need to consider its financial strength through debt levels. You need to consider how sustainable the income is by assessing the tenant's and the lease expiry terms, as well as the location of the assets. You need to consider the conditions of the lease and whether there are provisions for uncertain economic and market conditions. And finally, you need to understand that REIT exposure to subsectors, what the REIT exposure is to subsectors of real estate, and whether that exposure matches with the goals that you're trying to achieve in your portfolio.
0: REITs can add a level of diversification to your portfolio, especially for investors that find residential property currently out of reach in Australia. For many of us, though, it gives us access to subsectors of Aussie and international real estate that is often out of reach for individual investors, such as commercial real estate. REITs have the potential to offer sustainable yields and income growth, and some are well positioned to manage challenging environments with provisions like CPI escalators and mid-term rent reviews.
1: All right. So, Shawnee, that is the episode. That is the most that two people have ever said "read" <laughs> in 20 minutes. Or VAP. Or VAP, yes. Um, but anyway, hope you guys all learned something from it. We, of course, always love comments or any feedback you want to send me. My email address is in the uh, in the podcast notes. So thank you very much for listening.